Hello and welcome to this episode of The Road to Net Zero, a podcast from the Advanced Propulsion Centre. My name is Clem Silverman and if you did not know already, November 2023 is officially our 10-year anniversary. We're hosting some special events and conversations that look back at our work over the past decade and of course a look towards what the future holds. This is a two-part episode in which I've sat down with the members of the APC's board to learn from their experience of working in this sector and how they've seen its transformation. This first section is all about investment in the UK automotive industry. And for that, I've interviewed our board's two financial experts, Charles Housewell and Geoffrey Bicknell. Plus, we'll hear from some of our project partners that we've interviewed this past year. We've done this sat around the microphones in different locations, so the audio might sound a little different at times. But let's jump straight in. Here's Charles or Charlie first up. Charlie, what's your background and expertise and how did you come to work with the APC? Okay, I spent 25 years as a um, civil servant. I was in the Foreign Office and spent quite a lot of time in China. Then moved on to finance and I went and worked for the Royal Bank of Scotland and then moved on from there just before it disappeared as a, as a, a force in finance um, to HSBC, which was how can we be clever about financing the technologies that will make the future sustainable? Now, sustainable finance has come to me it's like to mean slightly different different things now um, but that's what i meant by it and when i moved on from hsbc i wanted to immerse myself in the world of those technologies and that's what brought me to apc and i was very kindly included as a non-executive director um i think because because of various things because of that finance background but also because of the the china background and if you like a kind of geopolitical angle on some of the issues that we were facing so to give you an idea quite early on i i was concerned about the extent to which we were making choices which put us or made us dependent on china and on the the supply chains coming out of china particularly in the areas of things like battery technologies and magnet technologies thank you um Okay, well, I will save the questions then for uh, in a bit, but um, Jeff, we'll let, let you go second. <laughs> and if you can just introduce yourself as, as, as well and um, w- what your role is at the APC and where you've come from. I, I'm a chartered accountant. I started from the financial uh, route, although I'm passionate about engineering and particularly um, uh, automotive. Uh, and I, I was um, had my own little sports car. I used to go racing when I was a young person. And really loved, you know, the autosport, let's put it that way. So, and it was some while ago, 10 years ago, almost to the day, so two people uh, I met in London, uh, Tony Pixton and Gerhard Schmidt, asked me if I'd like to join something called APC, which was a venture between industry and the UK government. And I said, that sounds really intriguing. Uh, I'd really like to see that work. I strongly believe in the cooperation between the two, having seen it work in France, in Germany, and, and you know, you, you've travelled as well, Charlie, so you know what I'm talking about. Some countries are very good at it, some aren't. At that point, the UK wasn't really right up to that standard, so I did it, and I joined APC. And I have to say, this is one of the most interesting uh, careers I've had, and the team at APC are absolutely outstanding. And uh, it's been really great. Experience. So that's how I got into it. Really, you know, no, no, no direct path, but through various industries, various countries, various opportunities, ended up in APC. But because I really wanted it to work, 
this cooperation between government and industry, which has worked so well elsewhere and is starting to work quite well, I think, now in the UK. Yes, it's a really good model. At least we've seen over the past 10 years some excellent examples of how we've been able to fund projects which have led to the commercialization development of these new sustainable technologies in automotive. Here's a clip from one of our project partners, Toyota, recorded at Senex LCV earlier this year. I'm Catherine Chamberlain. I'm Senior Manager in New Product Development at Toyota Manufacturing UK. And I'm the project lead for Team UK on this exciting Fuel Cell Hilux prototype development project. So we were successful in getting the government funding through the APC and we built the project consortium with Ricardo UK, Thatcham Research, D2H and ETL. And the funding has really enabled us to move more quickly than we would in a standard vehicle project at Team UK. So it's been a real pleasure working with the APC. They've really supported us throughout the project management and guided us in, in terms of working as a project consortium, which is quite new to Team UK. You know, help the project run smoothly and develop the teamwork with all the partners. To you first, Charlie, about uh, the funding landscape um, how has the investment and funding landscape changed for the automotive sector um, and how do you see it um, perhaps progressing into the future? One of the interesting things about the APC is that it's grown up against a background of what has been traditional scepticism about intervention by governments. So, and I have to say that that um, in my time in government, I was a non-interventionist. I believed completely in the private sector. I also swallowed the idea that everything in America had all been done by the private sector. And of course, I've forgotten that, that through DARPA and through all the various schemes and so on, actually most of American technology has emerged from the public sector. Um, but so we have this kind of um, obstacle in what was traditional government thinking about intervening in industry. And we needed to demonstrate that not only was public intervention, the use of public money required in order for certain things to happen, but also that it was possible to use public money very productively, not just to make new technologies happen that might not otherwise, but also to leverage private money. Mm. And I think the APC has been phenomenally successful at that. And so if you want to sort of change, a fundamental change in the background to the funding landscape. It's that change in the mindset of government, where I think there is now, they've moved from scepticism about public intervention to understanding how necessary it is, and also how they can work with the right kind of institutions like the APC to make it productive. So I think that's a really fundamental change in, in the way that this country has approached the development of new technologies and so on. So before then, what was the, the, the main mechanism then that the government used or, or was it uh, a hands-off, more hands-off approach? The, the, kind of, the kind of cycles we'd been through, I mean, obviously we'd had a period when the government owned an awful lot of industry. And then you had the privatization years um, under Margaret Thatcher particularly. So mm. that, was, that was a powerful ideology that, that saw us through not just um, the Conservative government, but the new Labour years as well. There was this, this belief that things happened better in the private sector and you know, the government touch would not be a constructive or productive one. And so we've had to turn that cycle back a little bit and to something that's sort of halfway in between, where we show that there are things that won't happen 
unless government provides some kind of support. And very often what we need is not public finance, it's not government money, it's the government to stand behind risk. Because very often yeah. if you want to invest in new technologies, you have to take on a degree of risk. We're going from this period when everything has been able to use fundamentally the same technology to a period in which we're going to need different technologies for different applications. It's horses for courses. And there are a lot of difficult choices to make around that, identifying what is optimal in different circumstances. It's actually the most profound shift in the history of mobility, probably for 150 years. And the simple reason it's happening is because burning hydrocarbons is not sustainable. Yes, it really is a period of huge change. So speaking of emerging technologies, the next profound shift is likely to be greater connectivity. This is what the APC's sister organisation tasked with connected and automated mobility, Zenzik, has to say. Hi, I'm Frances Williamson. I'm Head of Industry Engagement at Zenzik. It's amazing because I think mobility never stands still. Everything's constantly evolving and innovation is just really changing this marketplace. And I often say it's not just uh, systems of systems, it's an industry of industries coming together. And that's where connected and automated mobility and the decarbonisation of the fueling of that transport will actually bring to, bringing that together and blending those technologies will actually create a net zero future of what we need. So it's, 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 sci it's obviously a science-based driver uh, and it's something which is existential for all of us, but what's the commercial driver? Let me answer your question in a slightly indirect way. It is not the investor that's driving this. What's driving it is something bigger than that, which affects all of us, the climate change. But within that, there are opportunities for investors. Because here you have, for example, take a, a technology for electric vehicles. Um, Ten years ago, the OEMs had done a great job in driving the prices down over, over a long period of time. It was a mature industry, low margins, and not an awful lot of growth. So I turned it down. But now, if you look at it, You've got reasonably good margins. You've got new technologies which the OEMs need, must have in order to survive. They're prepared to give a reasonable price for it. Government regulations are powering it. It's a different thing altogether. I, I love markets which are driven by something you can't change like climate or regulations, you know, that, that people have to obey. It's got all those things. If you look at investment now, the margins are reasonably good. Uh, the, the future is pretty bright. And it's supported by government. It's a great situation. Very, very different to, to, to 10 years ago. Totally different. Yeah. Can't and, the, and the environment itself is changing, if, you know, on the broadest sense. So that's the driver, isn't it? <laughs> See, the other forecast, you realise why we're doing this. <laughs> can, can I come in on that? I mean, I don't want to sound a negative note, but um, for various reasons, this has been one of the most difficult periods for raising finance that anyone can remember, particularly in this area. And we've, we've had a kind of perfect storm of challenges. We've had, there's, there's climate change behind this. We have the pandemic, have war in Ukraine, seen the return of inflation. We've seen unstable politics. And all this, it's created a lot of uncertainty. And uncertainty is the enemy of investment. And I think the role that the APC can, can play in this within the investor communities, we have unique access to the knowledge of what is taking us forward, of the new technologies that are likely to thrive. And we, we have this unique knowledge because we look at the supply chains as a whole. 
And none of these technologies ex exist in a vacuum. All exist as part of a new supply chain. And the, what, what the APC brings to the party is this overview of the supply chains that are emerging and how we can convert those to ensure that the companies within them are going to thrive and therefore that the investors in those companies will get their return. So how do companies in the supply chain take advantage of the APC funding ecosystem? Here's one of our long-standing partners. Uh, Andrew Deakin, I'm the uh, Director of Technology for a company called Punch Flybrid. Punch Flybrid, okay. And what kind of technology do you develop? Um, so that's flywheel hybrid systems. Um, so we store the energy in a flywheel, which is spinning at high speed, and then that energy can be used whenever required. As a company, we built the first uh, hybrid system on a Le Mans car back in 2010, I think it was. Um, and since then, we've, we took that technology with the aid of people like APC. Um, we did projects with uh, Jaguar Land Rover to put it into a, a Jaguar XF. Uh, we did a, a project with Volvo, which is a public one, and we worked with companies like uh, Wrightbus and uh, JCV to develop the technology for uh, larger vehicles, uh, heavy-duty vehicles and um, off-highway vehicles. It funded a lot of the research and the testing and the, 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 the DVP we had to get through to uh, validate the product, and then has enabled us to take that technology, which was de significantly de-risked, um, from that point into a, a, something we now manufacture ourselves um, and sell as an OEM. So um, if that hadn't happened, I don't think we'd be where we are today and the UK industry wouldn't see these CO2 savings that they're, they're seeing today. If I just pick up a couple of points. I don't, don't really think the investment environment has been that bad, quite frankly. Um, uh, stock markets have gone up around the world quite well. I mean, it's really uh, the problem has been high interest rates. I know now for experience, you know, making investments nowadays, a lot of the calculations don't work because the return on, on deposits is higher than the return you've got on the business, or the margin's not big enough. It's really, that's been the thing that's been the real problem the last uh, few months. What's amazing is that the investment in automotive has continued because, and I agree with you, the things about regulation and so on and so forth. And also uh, in terms of components, I know some investors who find APC uh, would say a, a stamp of approval. They know that the people at APC know their market well, they understand the market, they know the trends and so on and so forth. And if something's had, something's had a grant from APC to develop it, then you know there must be a pretty robust engineering case at least for it. You both, you both mentioned um, choices that are being made and um, Charlie, you said something about um, technologies which are going nowhere <laughs> <laughs> um so is it is it is it our role to pick the ones which are going somewhere um or are we looking to invest in things which might go somewhere but might not end up going anywhere in the end the the problem with any period of technological change is that somebody has to pay for the technologies that don't go anywhere um, and the classic example was the dot-com a lot of people lost a lot of savings in the dot-com because they paid for the technologies that didn't go anywhere. But of course, what emerged from that period was the technologies we do now all use. And so there has to be this kind of um, period of creative destruction of capital, if you like, um, while we identify those things. Now, I don't think it's the role of the APC to try and pick winners or to try and influence those decisions. I think it's the role of the APC to collect as much data and information as it can so that government on the one but also investors on the other are equipped with the information that they need 
to make decisions. Which, what we're adding really is technical due diligence. Yeah. Uh, in a way that the investor himself couldn't do. That's how I see it. As you say, we're not preferring one investment over another, but we're saying there's a robust technical reason for this thing that it might work. We believe from our knowledge of the industry is possibly going to have a demand for it, right? Which is also important. It, it, it has many, many uses, what APC does. And, and uh, I think it's hard to imagine what it would be like without it, frankly. I think it's been a great thing. But it started from the competitions. That's how it started. And then we were aware quite early on that the information we're building up about technology and the industry and so forth, so forth was invaluable. And then it grew into the Automotive Transformation Fund to bring them through the value of death into manufacturing, uh, the, the TDAP, uh, small, small vehicle development. It's grown a lot. You look at our activities today, probably half the business is, is as big as the competition in many respects. Um, you know, the competitions have, have paid for it through the grants and so, yeah. so forth. But my God, have we got a good return on investment through, through doing that. No, I want to, well, I wanted to pick up on, the, on that on that last point. Uh, last point, but you mentioned TDAP, which is the Technology Developer Accelerator yeah. Program, which is for yeah. startups and SMEs and spin-outs. Obviously, yeah. it's been said many, many times that the UK is very good at the R&D or the, the research at university level, um, taking some new technologies or some guys working on a PhD and then comes up with some magic uh, new gizmo. But then getting that through into commercialization is a real challenge. Um, so TDAP is there to help people on that journey. Um, but, you know, what are the challenges right now in terms of getting those to scale in the UK um, and, you know, go beyond that initial sort of Kickstarter uh, generation? I'd like to add one comment then, because it's something I've noticed uh, in the last year or two, and maybe Charlie, you've picked this up as well. If you look at the companies which are, which are developing technologies, uh, they started off pretty much as pure engineers, <laughs> Pure engineers, they were engineering, an engineering idea, technology idea. They're now becoming rounded businesses. You start off as a cost center, pretty much, and you know you, you develop your product, you test it, and so on and so forth. But then you have to transition from a cost center to a trading business, and that's a hell of a leap. You know you have to bring on board uh, uh, marketing people, finance people, people that understand shareholders, and so on and so forth. It's a big big step to morph from cost center to trading business. But I th looking at the, the, the companies we're now supporting, not all of them, but the ones I've met are becoming real business people and not just developers. They have an attractive investment proposition, properly managed in a way that investors find agreeable and have confidence in the management. And I think that's an important point. Here's Oxford RF CEO, Dr. Kashif Sadiq, interviewed about the TDAP process. We are sensors experts and we looked at the driverless cars market and the way driverless cars are being developed these days and we thought there is a burning problem here. There are too many eyes on the vehicle because if you think about a driverless car and a normal car, the difference is that the driverless car has extra eyes and a brain which a normal car does not have. And we thought that we can do something better and we can design a proper sensor for autonomous vehicles, a solid state 360 radar sensor. Any hardware startup like us needs a defined amount of funding and support to get us off the ground. And hardware startups, they need more funding than software startups, purely because we need to create hard products. And as they say, hardware is hard. The APC is running the TDAP program, which is one of the best hardware accelerators in the UK. 
and they are giving us the necessary pre-seed cash support and also the mentorship and uh, they also make connections for us which are really critical access to the market so there's a lot of resources that the apc is bringing on the board including the cash support and uh, i think that's very critical for the uk ecosystem i would say and an investor wants to see that transition it wants to see that it's got the engineering expertise but also it's got the management expertise to make a viable company out of that set of ideas is um the environment in the uk conducive to doing that or are there other challenges which present themselves when we're trying to get to that next stage well i was going to say i i think it's changing dramatically uh, and I think you know we were talking earlier, earlier on about the cooperation between government and and uh, industry. Um, I think what's happened is there are people now in government or government departments that had some industry or business experience. And I think because you're getting more people in public service that also understand business, you may have more confidence in in in. Uh, uh, maybe even uh, nationalizing an industry if it's going through a particular phase in its development because the people there will understand business as well as the administration side of it it's a, it's a it's a shift it's a sea swell shift in 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 britain that i've seen over the last 10 20 years which i think is very encouraging there's another part of that shift that i think needs to continue and that's that a lot of people um, particularly investors in very early stage companies uh, take a very short-termist view, so they're looking for a five-year return maximum and an exit. And I think we're now beginning to move back to people who think, actually, I, I want to leave a legacy. Um, and, and the kind of the legacy thinking, I think, is also related to the awareness of climate change and the things that we need to do to make our future sustainable. And and so. People want to create a legacy in that space, in, in the kind of, you know, they, they want to create something that's sustainable and makes a contribution. And that leads them back to be thinking a little bit longer term about the kind of companies they want to build. But that shift from that very short term mindset to building a legacy is something that's really important. So in that vein, I just wanted to maybe ask you if you had thought about anything from your experience with the APC, of any, anything that surprised you or any companies which you may have thought may have may have become one of those global champions potentially or something where it's really piqued your interest. Yes, I have two, two companies that really spring to mind for me uh, is Sayeta uh, and um, the other one I thought was very good is Equipmake and they seem to be doing well and I've met um, Folia's name is the guy that runs it and interesting character he's obviously a very very skilled engineer but he's also a very shrewd businessman and uh, he's doing very well. Um, one of the ones that stands out for me is um, the Dolphin N2 engine. Mm. Um, and I mean, that we had a, if you like, a Damascene moment when we went down to Brighton where it was developed. And that we've probably been wrong to demonize internal combustion. But in the mix of all the different technologies, different applications over the future, combustion probably has a role. And that's helped to shape my thinking in that. We tend to think of these transitions as, as jumps. You know, we jump from combustion to electric, or um, you know, we, we we jump to fuel cells. And actually, a lot of these things are progressive. And what that engine, what the Dolphin N2 demonstrates, is that you could move progressively from your hydrocarbon fuels 
to a totally clean fuel. Exactly. And I think there's two things, context and data enable people to make decisions and make choices. Uh, one of the one of my hobby horses at the moment is that we aren't yet getting the right discussions going about infrastructure because infrastructure, the infrastructure choices that government will make, and it has to be government, is what's going to determine the technologies that will be viable in the future. So are we missing it? Are we missing a trick in that in that respect? Because the APC doesn't do infrastructure. We do the things that move. Um, so uh, and we focused on that very well. But the infrastructure question is is left to others to, to figure out. I, I, think, I, think, I think that's the right way. To, I don't yeah. think we want to get into infrastructure department. <laughs> you know, we've had this debate before, haven't we, Charlie? But we do have a lot of input to such a department. And one should exist somewhere in the planning uh, planning uh, stage, perhaps. And it could be in government, could be in private. But I mean, I think, um, you know, I wouldn't, you're not suggesting, I don't think, are you, that we should get into... Uh... No, I'm just asking the questions, uh, not, not, oh. not making any suggestions. <laughs> uh, but that's a very good point. But um, I realise we're, we're getting close to time. Um, mm. And I just wanted to touch upon sort of your experience working within the APC and um, some of the, some of the, you know, maybe lighter moments that you might have experienced or anything that you can shed light on as, as we've come up along our, our journey. In all seriousness, um, I can't remember working with such a skilled, qualified team. Uh, you know, they're, they're passionate about what they do. They're very professional. They're very good at presenting it and very good at developing it. They're, they're a fantastically good team. And, and um, when I look back in my experiences and I've worked in different industries and so on and so forth, uh, APC team really impressed me. They stand out, and I, I, it's been a pleasure working with them. What I've witnessed is just the sheer hard-working um, professionalism in the team. Yeah, I've worked in a number of different environments, and I've worked with different companies, and I've been on different boards. Um, I've I've never seen as professional, as dedicated, um, and as just simply bright and a clever a team as we have um so it's a great from my point of view it's a great privilege to be part of the board and i just hope they keep me for a nice long time <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you for thank you very much for being so complimentary <laughs> um yeah that's def that's all going in so we'll just you know we'll we'll, we'll slap ourselves <laughs> on the back that's great <laughs> Obviously, the job's not done, and we're looking forward to the future of progressing auto innovation and transformation even further. Perhaps we can get your thoughts again then. Thank you very much, Jeff and Charlie. I think we've got loads of good content there. I've got enough paper to keep us going for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this conversation about the UK automotive investment landscape. We may be a small country, but we're a great one. A country of Shakespeare, Churchill, the Beatles, Sean Connery, Harry Potter, and David Beckham's right foot, David Beckham's left foot come to that, but also with a thriving and transforming automotive industry. The next episode in this two-part series will be on the sector itself, and I hope you can join me for that. Visit our website or our social channels to find out more about our 10-year anniversary celebrations.